Bonzilla presents Star Trek. Each week we warp speed into the world of Star Trek. This week, Picard and his crew deal with questions of eternal youth, as well as seeing a little Gilbert and Sullivan. It's 1998 Star Trek Insurrection. All right, here we go. Star Trek Insurrection. The recording in three. The, re- the recording. It's a re- this is the recording. The recording podcast. The recording. <laughs> that sounds can, like oh, a. Can you can you hear me? Okay. Yeah, I can hear you. Okay, good. Um, that sounds like like a horror movie podcast. The recording. <laughs> the recording. <laughs> I mean, it does sound. Yeah, it sounds like a yeah a horror movie where like the gimmick is like it's a haunted podcast. Yeah, it's I'm a, sure that that's well, gotta be something. All right? right, it's it's basically like the ring, but instead of watching a video, you listen to a podcast and die like yeah. seven. And like whatever podcast episode you listen to, that's how you die, and that's how they figure it out. Like, wait a minute, this podcast, like everybody's dying because of like. Oh their- yeah, because it's like one of those like bin bingeable true crime podcast that you like those narrative podcasts that you have to listen to to get to all the way to the end yeah and that's the twist is that you die i'm going to i'm going to draft that up as an outline <laughs> that actually right. is a pretty fun idea anyway this is all in this is all in the episode bonzilla bonzilla preamble you're getting the raw stuff here i should just really start the episode yeah, like this. yeah hey we're right. here we're here hello everybody hi you just got a glimpse at this is us candid candid podcast right here oh i think i lost you i can't hear you hello can you hear me yeah i can hear you now it seems like it sounds like your mic has an issue hello Yes, I, okay. I can hear you now. Yeah, just unplugged. It's even more raw. Yeah, yeah, more yeah, raw yeah, yeah. recording. Well, welcome to the Bonzilla podcast. Everybody. It's it's it's, uh, it's quite a day here. I'm Nick. It's Bonzilla presents. I'm That's Will. Will. It's Will. That's Will. Yes, I I, I spoke over Will like a good host does. Uh, welcome to Bonzilla presents. We are talking once again about the Star Trek franchise, and I will say, uh, don't worry, guys. I know it's no time to die opening weekend. We've just had very busy weekends, and yeah. we both need to see the movie and find time. We're, we're, we're fitting this in as best we can, but we will have a no time to die review as soon as we actually see the movie. So hopefully sometime this week we'll see it and we'll get that review out probably by next I, week. So I have I have to admit it, this is one of those things where a couple even like two, like three, four years ago, I never 100 percent got like when I listen to other people who do podcast or like even work in like the industry. And then they always say like. Oh, they have no time to like go see like this this um like a movie or a TV show to talk about it. And I'm like, how can how can you not have the time? But the older I get, you really do sometimes struggle to find the time yeah. to like go to you know, go to a movie uh, like at times. Now, one could say that it is our 
quote unquote job to go see it because we did a podcast or do a podcast where we talk about this stuff. One could say that, but my answer to that was to be, would be pay us listeners. <laughs> well, <laughs> then, we, then it would happen. We did have someone asking us about shirts on the Facebook. Hey, if I start, so, if we get merch and I start seeing the money, I'll be more prompt about I will watch all of Singular Point yesterday. I'll see No Time to Die this afternoon. It would happen. But hey, if you want, <laughs> if there's demand for the Patreon, we will be, we will actually hey. begin it. Yeah. But I feel like our fans, they, they, they know this about us and, and they like this casual podcast nature of it. Yes. So, at least I hope that's my justification. I, I will, but we, we, we will get our no time to die review. We will. Yeah. Out. I do want to see it. it I, I think I, it looks good. I've heard, um, I've heard good things about it, right? Yeah, that's yeah. The, I've heard, I've heard, yeah. I've heard decent things, but yeah. um, I know there's been a lot of people like in our friend group that want to hear our thoughts on it too. So yeah, yeah, our, yeah. Our, that, our that, friend, our, our friends of the pod. So uh, I know you're, we, we are awaiting our review. So we will get that out soon. But today we are back on the Star Trek franchise. We are back into the next generation films with the third next generation film, Star Trek Insurrection. 1998 we're at the end of the 90s once again will it's time for us to to dig into what really is the star trek insurrection Mm -hmm. so if you're ready i i you know what these this entire trek journey this trek as it were this some this some sort of star trek has been quite a treat i i think and that is without giving away too many of my thoughts of this movie the one thing that as it was as we were closing in on the credits, I did think to myself, like, yeah, it's been like a treat watching these, like mm-hmm. going, going through this, this it's a, movie franchise. It really is like a solid series of films. Yeah. Like, just, yeah. Which, just, which we'll talk about. Yeah. It's just interesting to watch. But anyway, yes, let's, let's dive back into this, uh, into this Trek. All right. So Star Trek insurrection, we're starting off hot on the heels of the success of first contact. And of course, Paramount is once again eager to kind of get back into the Star Trek thing. Uh, just kind of basically, let's just do another one, kind of do a one every couple of years. Uh, Rick uh, Berman, uh, the producer of these Next Generation films, uh, is once again at the helm. And his idea initially is like, let's do something a little bit lighter in tone because he was thinking, well, first contact, first contact was very heavy with the Borg and Picard's, you know, uh, mission and his, you know, backstory and everything like that. And even generations had like the death of Kirk and was, you know, had all the timey wimey nonsense. So maybe something a little bit more casual, a little bit more lighter in tone would work uh, for the next step of the next generation films. And Paramount was like, well, that worked for us before we did, a, we did, a, we did a comedy movie in the voyage home. And maybe we don't need to go that far, but we can still be successful with the lighter tone track with something a little bit more on the fun side and a little bit more on the kind of casual side. So everybody's in agreement that this is sort of the general direction that they want to go. And Berman immediately is, is in contact with a writer and we have a new writer for this film. And Michael Piller, uh, the previous two films, of course, were written by the team at Bergma and Ronald D. Moore, um, who were unavailable because they not only had commitments to 
uh, Deep Space Nine and Voyager, which were still in the midst of television uh, production. Uh, but both of them had been contracted by Paramount to start the story process for a, the next film in their other new franchise, Mission Impossible. So while Berg and Moore were working on Mission Impossible 2, Berman was tasked to find a new writer, and that is Michael Piller. So Michael Piller also was a writer that had deep ties to the current Star Trek television uh, franchise in that he had written the pilot for Deep Space Nine and was a continuing writer on the Deep Space Nine show. And it was actually one of the writers contacted back in Generations when they were going to do the competition of like every people write multiple scripts and pitches. But he had refused at that point because, well, he wasn't into kind of the the drama of like competing of these scripts that he, he was going to be asked. He just wanted to be asked this time. He was asked just to be asked. And he was very eager to kind of do a new Star Trek thing because some of his previous films that he had written were constantly in development hell. Uh, and, and so he was like, well, a Star Trek film that I write most likely is going to be something uh, that gets made that, that I will have a credit in the film. So he was very eager to stump on board. And so Berman, and uh, Pillar start making conversations. So Berman's first idea is to do sort of a uh, script where Picard, there's a clone of Picard and he kind of replaces Picard and there's kind of a, the lightness of like this kind of evil Picard, you know, amongst the rest of the crew. Pillar said no, because people want to see, People want to see Picard and the crew. They don't want to see someone pretending to be Picard and the crew. They don't want to see their main character not be their main character for most of the movie. And Berman agreed, but he kept the uh, clone of Picard in the back of his head, which you know will definitely come on forward, possibly in our next movie. Uh, but instead, Pillar sort of suggests a version of the Fountain of Youth story that he kind of had just again sort of what's going on in the world now that people are trying to look younger, plastic surgeries, you know, Botox is kind of the big thing around this time, that sort of idea. People are trying to look younger. People are trying to find their fountain of youth. Well, let's kind of do a fountain of youth type story. And Berman kind of comes in. It's like, let's combine the fountain of youth in his initial idea with heart of darkness. And while that may seem like it's not like in the same realm as like they're over oh, doing a lighter tone movie, uh, it was the more the idea of sort of this, you know, going deeper into a place and, and, and you know, going up the river, quote unquote, uh, to some extent. So Pillar writes that first version of the script. And another thing that Pillar wants to do in that first version of the script is include the Romulans, because the Romulans as a series, as, or sorry, as a species, are the one major Trek alien race that has never been featured in the movie. The Klingons have had their movies. The Vulcans, of course, have been featured many times in the films. But the Romulans have never gotten their say. So their original pitch was Picard has to go after a former buddy of his from Starfleet Academy who's been attacking Romulan ships uh, and then sides with this kind of rogue Starfleet you know, friend of his when he finds out that there's some Federation officers teaming up with the Romulans to take on this fountain of youth planet. Um, this also would have featured the death of data who Brett Spiner was very eager to kill off, not because he didn't enjoy playing the character so much, but because he felt that he was sort of looking too old in the makeup at this time. So he was like, well, sure, let's do that. And 
basically no one liked this version of the script, which was known as Star Trek Stardust. Um, Berman felt that it kind of had gone away from his light tone and felt the film was too dark and political in many ways. Uh, but the major person who sort of dismissed this version of the script was Patrick Stewart himself, uh, because he had felt that he said, don't make it so. Yes, <laughs> uh, he he read the script on the set of a TV version of Moby Dick, um, which is very Patrick Stewart to do. And he basically one of the problems he had with the script is one, he's felt like data shouldn't die, especially at Picard's own hands. Um, and the other issue that he had was he felt that he had felt that Picard had become sort of a action movie type hero in first contact and he kind of liked that direction as an evolution of the character and he felt that the current script was very much back to the tv show version of picard a lot you know a lot more subdued in in some respects and so picard or sorry stewart wanted picard to have a little bit more of that kind of action hero motif that he had gotten in in first contact because he enjoyed playing that aspect of picard and that aspect of the character and once pillar and stewart actually met they figured out that they really wanted to tell the same story but they just needed to shift some elements of the story uh to really make it work so this is where the idea of this fountain of youth planet with which initially is a planet of children uh which are the baku and the Sony, who are sort of this race that are trying to drive these people from their home. Eventually, Stuart also requests that he have a romantic subplot in this movie because that's something he also hasn't really gotten to do over the course of the Star Trek films or the television show. So at this point, um, they're trying to figure out how to do that with a planet of children. Eventually, that comes through when Pilar has the executive producer of Deep Space Nine uh, read the script that's Ira Steer and Burn, and he rips apart the script and says, There's good ideas in here, but the Sony are like paper tiger villains. There's no real depth to them. There's no real, you know, uh, you know, threat to them. Uh, and there's just not really much meat on this bone here to really kind of get you invested in the characters and the world and this planet. So when Millard Pillar does the last version of the script, he changes the planet into a planet of, you know, adults that are, you know, basically immortal from the planet's, you know, the molecules, I guess. I forget what the term is, but like the, the, the thing on the planet makes them immortal. Uh, and he the kind science. of- The science. The The mumbo jumbo science. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the um, science on the planet makes the thing happen. Uh, as well as sort of increasing the funness of the Enterprise crew getting involved with the science of the planet. So, you know, reinstigating the Riker and Troy relationship, you know, Worf's puberty outbreak in this movie, all that sort of stuff uh, kind of comes really in the focus on this final version of uh, the script. And with this, the changing of the planet of the Baku from a planet of the children to just kind of a regular community this is where the main romance of the movie of Picard and the Bakuan woman, Anji, come into play as well. So uh, a lot of script changes kind of come through, but basically once they get to this fourth version of the script, everybody's more happy, though uh, the script at this point is just titled Star Trek Nine. Um, and various titles are discussed, such as uh, 
Star Trek Prime Directive, Star Trek The Resignation, Star Trek Breach of Promise, Star Trek High Treason, stuff like that. Eventually, it settled on Insurrection because one of the executives at Paramount thought that a longer word as a title sounded cool. Like that's literally that's literally what it was. Though another executive was like, I don't know what insurrection means, so maybe we shouldn't do it. But eventually they went with insurrection uh, to kind of bring home the fact that it's, you know, Picard going against Starfleet, which is something that was kind of consistent throughout all the scripts. Yeah, the one the only two things that were from that first Romulan version that were kept is Picard going against Starfleet. And the concept of the briar patch is this kind of part of space that's kind of hard to get through that has this fountain of youth quality to it. So finally, everybody's sort of happy with the script, including Patrick Stewart, uh, who is very eager to kind of take on uh, this film. And he likes the fountain of youth idea. He likes the romance. He likes sort of the added action to the film. And he likes kind of getting back together with the rest of his Star Trek crew. Um, and then from there, we're going to get into the cast of the film and we're going to start actually with, uh, Jonathan Frakes because he returns to direct the movie. Uh, A couple things about Frakes. Um, his one attempt at contribution to the script was that he really wanted the involvement of Q somehow because he felt that Q was the one character from the original series that was missing from these films. And while there was sort of some pitches about how to involve Q with the movie, eventually just Q didn't fit with the story they were going to tell. So that idea was dropped. And Frakes has said that one of his biggest regrets as a director of these two films was that he never got a chance to, you know, put Q in these movies because he's a big fan of John DeLacy and felt that he would have loved to to direct that character on the big screen. Another thing that happens with with Frakes in this film is he goes clean shaven for the first time Mm -hmm. since the first season of the Jack's Generation series. And he said, yes, part of the reason was to kind of, you know, embrace the youthful aspect of the Fountain of Youth stuff in the movie But he did say that another reason that this idea came up is that he got a couple of letters from some of his female fans who wanted him to return to the clean shaven list from the first season of the show. It it was in a in a movie of this tone. That was 100 percent my my biggest question hopping onto this. I'm like, so what's the in joke about the beard? Yeah. Yeah, because that it was so clearly one. Yeah, so yeah. <laughs> so it's basically just like kind of like acquiescing to uh, some of those female fans who liked that first season Riker, um, and uh, some sort 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 of that sort of thing. Uh, of course, we do have Brett Spiner returning as Data as well, and if, as I mentioned, he did want to die in this movie uh, because he felt he was getting too old to play the character. Uh, again, Stewart refused. So when Spiner was um, sent the script. It was attached with a note that said, sorry, kill you next time, um, <laughs> which, again, might come up yeah, uh, in, in a future. This is movie. funny. Yeah, this is funny kind of hearing about this. Yeah. Uh, and of course, Patrick Stewart is um, is back as well. And one of the I mentioned that he's excited about all this stuff. And one of the things he was very excited was just to have fun with his with his friends again, that for someone who had initially, you know, not really seen that what gotten Star Trek when he first signed on and didn't think the series would last long. He had really started to embrace the role and the character and this crew. Uh, and he really enjoyed sort of, again, playing more of the action hero version of Picard. 
the one thing I did mention, I find in, in one of the interviews for the movie, um, there's a scene in the movie and we'll talk about it where, you know, Picard has to sing a little Gilbert and Sullivan. And in the interview, Patrick Stewart said, I uh, was asked if he's actually a fan of Gilbert and Sullivan. And he said that he's a bigger fan of Beavis and Butthead. And he would have, <laughs> he would have liked to get them involved uh, in that scene instead. But, and, but they, they went with the, with the, with the uh, Gilbert and Sullivan because it fit, fit Picard's character a little people, bit more. People forget that's kind of how Patrick Stewart is. Yes. Like, yeah, no, he's definitely like, you, you kind of see him in like kind of real life. And the fact that he's like this great Shakespearean actor and all that sort of stuff. And he, he kind of plays these very dramatic roles and these iconic characters of Picard and, and later, like later uh, Professor X. And no, he's still, he's kind of a goofball. Oh, he, in real he, life. he is a, he's got a very quote unquote low art side to him. Mm-hmm. Um, yes. Yeah. And, and it's always fun to see too. Cause I mean, it's like once you get, like once he gets involved with like, uh, you know, like, like Seth MacFarlane stuff, like you know, he's also oh, yeah, 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 he's yeah. very into that stuff too. So, um, continuing on with the cast, of course, they're going to returning cast. Uh, Michael Dornan appears as Worf uh, again. Uh, he has been a, a recurring character on Deep Space Mind, which during the production of this film is in the midst of its final season or preparing for its final season. Uh, in the season six finale of Deep Space Nine. Worf's wife in that show is killed originally in the script there was a lot more lip service to that aspect of the character uh and, and sort of where Worf is as a character and a you know and a Klingon at this time but Berman said that you know Deep Space Nine is not as popular as the next generation and audiences will be confused so much of that stuff was cut out of of the movie uh, but but Dorn was very eager again to be part of the films and and at this point it's like you're not going to do a next generation film without Worf on mm-hmm. board. Um, Gates McFadden, of course, uh, and Deanna, uh, sorry, Gates McFadden and Mara Sturtis uh, were back as their respective characters of uh, Beverly Crusher and Deanna Troy. Uh, Sturtis was very happy to re-engage the character's romantic relationship with uh, Riker, uh, which had been teased throughout the show, but they hadn't, you know, kind of they, they felt that they had something in the last film when their characters interacted at the bar. And so that kind of was developed further in this movie. And eventually it's sort of canon that this is the movie that, you know, makes their relationship more of a permanent thing uh, as well. And McFadden was very just happy because, you know, she was very eager to be again involved with, with the family again, just like with first contact, everybody kind of wants to get back together and be part of the family. Uh, and so there we are, of course. And of course, um, LeVar Burton as, as Jordy as well, uh, who was very happy to, for once, not have to wear any sort of contacts in this movie as he does get the brief return of his actual eyes in the film. Uh, but we do have some new cast as well. Uh, we have F. Murray Abraham as our main villain of the movie, Adar uh, Ruffalo. Um, this was a Frakes uh, decision all the way. Uh, they had auditioned other actors, and which we'll talk about in a second. Uh, but Frakes was a very big fan of F. Mary Abraham, especially, of course, in his iconic performance in the film Amadeus. And basically, you know, offered him the role without an audition. Abraham was very happy to play this role. Uh, he said that 
if he really had a choice, he'd he'd play he'd play villains in Star Trek films every year because he just thought it was a very different and unique way. And he really enjoyed uh, being in the prosthetic makeup. Uh, he said that being in that makeup was like making love in the dark uh, in the sense that it's difficult because sometimes you, you have to, you know, your vision is impaired, yada, yada, yada. But it's like it's exhilarating and thrilling to be behind a different face that is completely different from your own. And, and, and as an actor, it really exhilarated him to put on that makeup every day and become someone else. Like that's mm-hmm. really what kind of made him interested in the role. And he said that just whenever he put on the makeup, his, his ability to chew the scenery like increased. And it just was a natural element of putting on that mask and that makeup. Um, and of course, like as a fellow stage actor, he was very eager to work with Patrick Stewart. Um, we also have um, Anthony Zerb as uh, the Admiral Matthew Doherty, who is kind of, the Starfleet officer that, you know, uh, is in partnership with Ruffalo throughout the entire film. Uh, this, uh, his original audition was for Ruffalo. Uh, and he for a long time was considered the best decision until Frakes really stepped in and said, we need kind of a, a big actor for, for the role. Uh, but everybody loved his audition, which, uh, Zip's audition was he, he basically on memory did a portion of Dante's Inferno before going right into the, the scene that he was auditioning with. So they offered him the role of the Starfleet general as well. And rounding out kind of this main cast was um, new cast was Donna Murphy, uh, who plays Angie, the Bakuan woman uh, that Patrick Stewart falls in love with throughout the film. And uh, that was also an audition process. Uh, 80 actresses auditioned for the role. Donna Murphy, of course, was a, a Tony Award winning uh, musical star that Frakes and Stewart were both a big fan of. And, and so once her audition came, Frakes said that, like, it was basically decision was made there. Um, also, one of those things I never made this connection, but Donna Murphy ends up being the voice of Mother Gothel in Tangled. So I was like, oh, that's kind of cool that I kind of know her from something. else. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, that's funny. Yeah, so and that's another movie where she's kind of involved with wanting youth uh, for for basically ever. So that, that is funny. Uh, that's a funny connection. Um, but but Patrick Stewart, uh, you know, also found that he had very great chemistry with Murphy. And again, as as again as a, a born stage actor and, and Stewart, and an award winning actress, stage actress, and Murphy, they felt that they had the good connection. Though Patrick Stewart was always very disappointed that they did film a kiss that was end up coming out of the movie. Uh, that that he felt was was very you know a part big part of their their relationships. Uh, rest of the cast is kind of filled out with uh, various auditioners and, and various roles. Uh, many of the uh, Sona officers that are underneath Ruffalo are Star Trek veterans, including one actor who was actually on the original series and had been in every Star Trek series since then. Uh, so I thought that was kind of cool. Also, brief note, uh, the uh, Fergie character Quark was supposed to have a cameo at the end of the movie from Deep Space Nine, but that was cut out after filming as well. One of the big things about this film from a visual effects and production standpoint was that this was going to be the first ever Star Trek film with no ship models, that all the space stuff would be CG pretty much exclusively. Uh, the normal crew at Industrial Light and Magic was not available f- 
for the production of this film because they were deep in the trenches on the Phantom Menace as well as Deep Impact. So instead, uh, Santa Barbara Studios did the main space CG, uh, which they took the Enterprise model that was in first contact and basically recreated in a CG mold. So all the space stuff was done by this uh, the Santa Barbara Studios. And all the stuff on the planet, such as phasers and the transport teleportation and everything, uh, was contracted to a, a, a up-and-coming visual effects studio that had just broken out into the film visual effects game, a young studio known as Blue Sky. Mm-hmm. Uh, which, of course, uh, in a couple years from this time, would become the Blue Sky Studios that would make Ice Age and other motion pictures. Uh, but this was when they had just broken out from doing television commercials into um, feature film VHF, VFX. So uh, I thought that was kind of cool. Herman Zimmerman, who has been the production designer on all these Star Trek films since uh, the motion picture, um, said that this was the most sets he ever had to build for a Star Trek film, 55 sets, which were at least 13 more than he had to build for uh, First Contact. The main big sets they had the film were for the Batuan village, uh, as well as sort of this Federation ships that, uh, you know, Ruffalo and his, you know, Starfleet friends are on. The Baku set was was filmed in Lake Sherwood, California, and very much the architecture was based on sort of Thai and Polynesian styles. Uh, they were buildings were made from a version of styrofoam. Uh, that were enhanced by CG after the film uh, obviously was shot, uh, as well as uh, basically making it a full-on community that that had like a you know bakery and a and a woodsmith shop and everything that they kind of built the the community uh, together big in Sherwood uh, Lake Sherwood California. Uh, the rest of the Bakun planet was filmed at the Sierra Nevada Mountains in California as well. Uh, the Vatoon Mountains and the forest and, and everything like that. Uh, but, of course, like with other previous Star Trek films, a lot of sets were reused. Um, so basically, since Voyager was on its break for its season, the Enterprise was essentially a redressed Voyager, which itself was a redressed Enterprise, which itself was a redressed motion picture set. Uh, in fact, the fun fact about this movie is that the sick bay in this film is essentially the same sick bay just redressed from the motion picture where all, all the other sets were kind of rebuilt. That sick base set has basically been there since 79, just kind of touched up slightly over the years. Yeah. And uh, costumes were once again, redesigned for this film, basically taking out all the color, which I'm not a big fan of, but each their own. Uh, these film, these ones were go out through uh, Voyager as well as uh, Star Trek enterprises and, and many other shows would be reused in some form or fashion. Also of note are the white formal uh, Star Trek suits, which are also reused in many other Star Trek productions. Jerry Goldsmith once again returns for the score of this movie. And uh, he, whatever reason, was very inspired again by the original Star Trek theme more so than even the Next Generation's theme in this film. Uh, but that's basically kind of what I have on Star Trek um, Insurrection. Uh, again, kind of the point was that there was a lot more comedy involved with the film, uh, but still 
Pilar and Berman wanted to kind of have a strong moral message. And that was actually Pilar's making the way that Pilar kind of made Picard into that action hero again was he felt that the action hero takes a strong moral stand. And that's what he wanted Picard to have since the beginning. And he just kind of transitioned that into kind of being more of the hero leading the people out, you know, and saving them from sort of being moved, you know, and everything like that. So, um, but definitely a lot more was made of the, the comedy aspect of the film and the characters having fun together and, everybody was just kind of on board with like, okay, well, we're, we're going to have a good time with this one and we're going to have fun with each other. Sounds good. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing. It's like uh, at this point, again, Star Trek is Paramount's well-oiled machine. Right. And especially with Frakes back on board from the previous film, they already have a director that everybody knows everybody loves. They have sort of the sets built. Everything is just like, it's a well-oiled machine. And while this other franchise, it's funny because I and we'll talk about this a lot on the next one. While this other franchise that Paramount's Mission Impossible is kind of slowly at the back end of becoming their number one franchise. I mean, they they their first they brought the first contact writers onto Mission Impossible 2 because they want that franchise to be successful. At this point, it's still just the bread and butter of Paramount is Star Trek. And for this time period, it's just perceivable that we're just going to keep making Star Trek films forever and ever and ever and ever. And so they're going to make this one for the late nineties. And then, Hey, what, whatever happens after that, we're just going to make another film with these, with these guys. That's just the plan going forward. And again, a lot of the people that have been involved since the motion picture, I mentioned Herman Zimmerman has been involved making sets since phase two and the motion picture. And he's been on every one of these movies since then. It's just a team that knows what they're doing. Easy to make movies easy money for Paramount. And that's kind of the feeling going into Star Trek Insurrection. Well, let's talk about it. Let's, let's regain our youth <laughs> and go find some Insurrection. You can fly a ship. You can anticipate tactical strategies. Clearly his brain is functioning. You've seen how he responds to threats. I wonder how he would respond to... Mr. Wolf, do you know Gilbert and Sullivan? No, sir. I have not had a chance to meet all the new crew members since I have been back. They're composers, Wolf. From the 19th century. Data was rehearsing a production of HMS Pinafore just before he left. A British tar is a soaring soul, as free as a mountain bird. His energetic fist should be ready to resist a dictatorial word. Sing, walk, sing. His nose should pant. And his lips should curl. His cheeks should flame. And his brow should furl. His bosom should heave. And his heart should glow. And his fist be ever ready for a knockdown blow. His nose should pant, and his lips should curl, his cheek should flame, and his brow should curl, his bosom should heave, and his heart should glow, and his fist be ever ready for a knockdown blow. Prepare the talking claps. All right, so... Oh, sorry. You no, you, you can go. You can go. Oh, I, was, I was just going to say, I think maybe we will just spend our entire time uh, just um, figuring out why it's called Insurrection. I think that's a good use of our time. I mean, 
Yeah, I mean, I guess, you know, is it Picard doing insurrection because he's going against? Is it the Starfleet, other Starfleet guys being like, yeah, it's not that bad. We're moving all these people off the planet and our council really doesn't know what's going on. So, you know, maybe we're insurrecting them. A violent uprising against an authority or government. Or, oh, wait, no, here's actually the second definition. A possible but maybe meaningless subtitle you can put on a sequel that's it's right there it's right in the dictionary (laughs) just to make it sound cool (laughs) i mean that's that's literally definition hey and that that one part that one paramount executive that's exactly what he was thinking it sounds cool yeah um anyway all right so movie um yeah you know what this was funny so that we're we're back in the territory of a movie that i haven't seen so this is my first time watching this one. Um, as 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 we head into the next one, that'll be a rewatch for me. Um, so these are always fun, kind of going back and forth with the ones I have seen versus the ones I haven't seen yet. And you kept on bringing this up as something like, "Oh, you're so interested to hear what I think about it." Yeah, yeah. Um, it's fine. Yeah, perfectly, perfectly enjoyable. I mean, there there there's some, you know, it. The actual takeaway from it, because it, it actually is a pretty casual watch. Mm-hmm. Like I found myself being able to like do other work like on my computer while I was watching it and follow it pretty easily. It's not a knock on it. But um, I mean, the standout of the movie that I'm sure this may be the thing that you were more interested in me talking about is just the injection of all this of all these like moments these little kind of personal moments and these like bits of personality and these kind of bizarre, but pleasant little comedic interludes that are weaved in and out of the film um, is kind of what the standout of the, of the movie is to me. Um, And there was a point midway through that I was like, you know, maybe this, maybe this, this should be mitigated a little bit more, but it's not like it's detracting from any other big, thing in the the film like there's not really like like from the get-go as soon as you see who the villain is you know what the game is Mm -hmm. like that's how i felt i like as soon as you see um the villain and you know and he's like getting his like face peeled back on and then he's like oh it's like you know it's like you know go through one of these procedures you'll look young forever and then i'm like okay i know what's happening i know why they're there (laughs) I know what's going on. Um, And it basically plays out. Because you're right. I mean, the movie is a Fountain of Youth movie. And it plays exactly as as any story like that would play out. Um, And then, yeah. I mean, you know, it, it it is really fascinating to go back and watch these movies. And we often talk about, like, when we watch the Trek movies, like, how much time... Like you do realize like in modern day movies, how many set pieces are in modern day movies. And I don't have a passionate opinion about that, but you do notice it. Like sometimes when I'm watching this, I'm like, it's been a while since there's been like a set piece in this movie. It's just like people just casually walking around and talking about stuff. And and some and there are some good fountain of youth type conversations. I would say there's an equal amount 
of I get it. <laughs> like, you know, there you know it's 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 well written, it's good. It's not reinventing the wheel on a standard conversation about youth in a sci-fi uh setting. And there was a moment in this film where I was like, man, like the two default positions of Star Trek movies are either talking about getting old or God. (laughs) (laughs) That's not not wrong. Those are usually the two default positions of a Star Trek movie that I'm learning. But, you know, it was like, because I've been so ingratiated with this crew and how they go about their missions. I'll never get tired of Worf. Um, and just, and I'll never get tired of Picard's relationship to the rest of his crew. And, and it, and it kept the, it, it kept it to be a, a perfectly fine addition mm-hmm. to this, to, to this series of films. I thought. Yeah. Uh, so back in the day, like, you know, back in when I was making my Star Trek, list you know back in 2018 when i was first kind of going through these films one by one uh this was originally the film that i had ranked at the bottom this was originally for a long time my least favorite star trek film see i slightly remember this yes yeah and i think the thing that i would say now having reflected upon it is it's still very much you know, near the bottom. And I, I think I want to kind of, there's at least two more films coming up that I kind of want to re reintroduce myself to, to really kind of remake my list in many ways. But I think really what it is, is one I've, again, it may be not great for podcasting, but I've calmed down on bad movies, you know, over the years uh, in many ways. And I think it's just a testament to how strong the Star Trek film franchise is and how in both the original series films and in, in, in the new next generation films, how strong the character relationships are, because even though this is still among kind of the bottom tier of Trek films, it really isn't bad. Like it's not, it's just kind of more casual. It's very much, of all the Trek films, and this includes the motion picture and five, this feels the most like an episode of the show. Like this feels the most like if you again, if you demaked it, you could just see like how this would be like an hour long version of, you know, a show episode with these same see, villains. You know, I, I was going to not to interrupt, but I was going to say that. But I all I feel like I say that all the time with these movies. I, I think but I, I think the thing is, like, I think it kind of goes back and forth. I think there mm-hmm. are, but people always say that the, the ones that they don't, the general consensus is not just the even odd thing, which we've talked about of like at this point, but the, the films that people like the most are the ones that feel like big movies. And the ones that people that don't like the most are the ones that feel like the shows, like the the ones that always get ragged on are the motion picture, Star Trek five generations and this one. And that's because in many ways, people feel like they feel like more like episodes, like, you know, or generations, like it's like the episode of the show where Kirk, can- it's stuff like that. But I, but I really think what makes these, this original era of Star Trek so enjoyable to watch again, among original series and next generation is no matter what's going on with the story or any plot quibbles you might have, or sort of the casual nature, whatever it may be, 
what keep these movies afloat are the characters and the character relationships. And both original series and Next Generation have these strong character and character dynamics and character relationships that, yes, like it's not my favorite Star Trek plot. And I feel like there's a little bit in the middle that yeah, it's just like I can see it as a show because I can feel like this could be shortened, even though it is the shortest Star Trek movie. It's just a very simple plot. What makes me like watching this movie is watching Patrick Stewart as Picard, is watching Michael Dorn as Worf, you know, is, is watching Riker, is watching Troy and, 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 and LaFort. And they, I enjoy watching these characters. And that's what makes this movie as enjoyable as it can be. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's funny because I don't have a, a ranking of these films, but it is one of those things where the only reason it would be lower is just because it's like it's perfectly fine. Well, that's the thing, yeah. and, it's, and it really makes me realize how much I like all the rest of the films so much. Like, like I, you know, it's like really like when you're looking at like what's on the lower tier. Like, I know I appreciated Star Trek Five a lot more, but for me, it's still kind of a little bit lower. And then it's the generations and this. Like, everything else is just way above this but that's not a bad thing because i've enjoyed all the other films we've watched well the yeah and the i mean what's funny is like because i remember that this was one that you weren't a fan of before we did this but i did find myself like there was nothing like generations where generations did have some like pretty like some pretty big I'll just, for lack of a better term, flaws for me. Like, yeah. and, and I think that came from, like, there was a lot of stuff I liked in the movie, but I also thought that it, it was setting up, like a, like, a bunch of stuff with the whole cross-generational thing that didn't really pay off. Yeah. Whereas, like, this one kind of just it executes, it, 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 like, ex it, like, exactly the story that you think it would tell. Yeah, it exists in a perfectly fine state. And yeah. and it's again, it's not a bad watch. Like I, I was kind of like when I was watching this last night, I was very much like, oh, no, this isn't that bad. Like it, yeah. it really isn't. And it was also, again, as just me as a person and me as a moviegoer have, have grown. I've kind of learned to not take the flaws so seriously in some respects, which, again, I'm sure is great podcasting content because people like to hear the ripping apart, you know, want to hear the like. The old school nostalgia critic, like, we're going to tear everything to shreds. I'm too well, no. tired. I'm too tired. I'm too busy to do that. No, but I also think that, like, I, again, like, I just think. I it's mean, just not like, how you are anymore. It, well, it's just like, I, 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 I've said this before, I think, on this podcast. But it, that, that part of me shifted a lot with The Last Jedi and seeing how people reacted to that movie. And I'm like, I can't do that. Oh, like, yeah. I, I can't be that angry about a movie. And also, like, listen, I've, I also kind of credit the fact that I've seen so much weird Disney stuff on Disney plus that I kind of like just enjoy movies and I enjoy life, you know, and I enjoy watching movies. Mm -hmm. Th that's a little insight into me, people out there. I enjoy watching movies. I enjoy doing this podcast and I'm going to enjoy talking a little bit deeper into Star Trek Insurrection. I am um, another thing, just going back to the movie itself. And, and, and the other thing I will say is that F Murray Abraham is actually like a real good addition to this film like that that does make this probably more engaging than it probably is like yeah. on the page like he he is good in the movie he's a good villain yes um and i'm also just struck by like you know in in classic star trek fashion you know they do 
a good job. Like these movies often do a good job of adding nuance to what the dilemma is. I think like I often find that with these movies that there are like these little smart additions of like a character who's on the villain side, but not 100% committed to the goal or, you know, there's just areas where you think that they could go more arch and broad with certain characters that they refrain from doing. And, and I find myself thinking that the Star Trek movies often do a good job with that. And this was no exception. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, this was no, but the biggest thing for me was I was taken aback by a lot more of the little fun interludes that this was having. Mm -hmm. Like that it was almost every other scene had like a character moment that like it was it was so funny. Like what what stood out to me about it was that, okay, we're at this point with these movies and with this franchise as a whole where it's like we've had multiple variations of the TV series at this point. And we've had two generations of the movies um, at this point. And now you can do a movie where. I would say a good quarter of the movie is just spent with just character moments Mm -hmm. that, you know, may or may not play into a bigger narrative, but because it's just like you, they can just afford to have like a fun scene with Worf or with like, you know, or with data or like, you know, with any, so I, I, I was struck by the freedom to be able to do that. Yeah, and um, I think it's also, movies. especially with this era of Trek, where you're kind of, you know, with, with the first two, with, with Generations and, and First Contact and this, when you're bringing on sort of the writers from the shows, especially from Deep Space Nine and Voyager, I think what kind of happens is, you know, TV tends to have a lot more, you know, you're kind of more used to that because you're with these characters for so long. And now that we're three films in and you have kind of a TV writer who's familiar with these characters, you know, and even from writing the spinoffs and everything, you can really have those moments. And again, that's what makes Star Trek shine, especially these original 10 era films. And, and I, don't, I don't want to speak ahead of Nemesis yet, but I think what really makes these films shine is the fact that you can have these moments between these crews that you are familiar with at this point and are familiar with with each other and even from the behind the scenes i always mention like they at this point the you know the family thing seems cliche but it really does feel like too that these these actors really do enjoy getting back together and having these little bantery moments and you kind of get to see that in the performances in this film too well you know it is funny though we we often do say and, and it is something that we overuse about like oh it feels like a family but one thing and you saying this actually just made me realize about the difference between this and the original series crew because i often said the original series crew feels like like college friends like that are in like you know in the in the same dorm and they're always trying to like and they're always getting up to shenanigans whereas like this one the next generation crew does feel a little bit more like like a family to Mm -hmm. me like it, it feels that's just kind of the vibe i get from them whereas like the original crew feels like like really really close like a brotherhood of friends like that's kind of the vibe i get at least for me when if i had to like dissect the two um so yeah there so i I don't think that's a bad comparison right like i think if you just compare 
yeah if you if you really compare it like uh, even that like triumvirate in the original series of of uh kirk spock and mccoy uh there there really are kind of that kind of the college buddy thing i think really just shines through i think that's a good analogy mm-hmm. um yeah so I, I mean and the other thing about it i really don't have too much else to say about the movie i mean when you get into it um it's a movie where you think data is going to turn bad. It does not. <laughs> well, because that's how again, we we all we with we, we opening right. We're 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 in sort of the the opening of we we open up and the credits on this sort of idyllic sort of hunter gatherer type community town. You know, everybody's in you know ba- baking bread and and having a good time. And there's seemingly no technology. So there's sort of kind of a, a primitive culture. And then we find out that. They're being watched uh, by a collection of people, of Federation people, in, in, in an invisible uh, duck-blind facility. Uh, and then this is where we get the data going crazy. Um, essentially, like, something's happened to Data. He's on this mission, and he's basically kind of now seemingly on this mission to reveal all these invisible people and this invisible facility to this to this town and this is kind of the the beginnings of the plot it's just sort of data what's what's wrong with data what's going on you kind of thrown into the midst of it you're right um and and then from there we cut to and this is where i kind of was like you know again just the fun of seeing everybody it's the rest of the enterprise crew meanwhile is getting ready for sort of this this dignitary these are always the most fun bits of star trek for me or like especially in the movies like those little glimpses of like oh we're in the middle of a day in the life of some weird thing we got to do right so they're like in the middle of a dignitary dinner for a new world that's being introduced into the federation uh and it's like they're just like getting everybody ready to to go and like picard like you know it has like they have these nice white kind of like jumpsuit things and they're trying to like here. This is the language, and they're trying to button uh, Picard's collar, and it's like, uh, you know, you're, you're either your neck's gotten bigger or your shirts are getting tighter. And it's like my neck's the same size that it was at the Starfleet Academy, um, and all this sort of stuff. They're, again, and then they go into the elevator, and there's a great line where it's like, remember when we used to be explorers, you know, mm-hmm. and that sort of thing where it's like, but they're at this point where like they are kind of a big name in the crew, and they got to be these sort of dignitaries for for the federation uh and again just like the walk and talk with everybody and just how well all these characters just bounce off of each other uh it, it's just a great sight to see and it's just a fun scene where it's like here's the crew getting back to you know not getting back together but like in, in our eyes it's seeing the crew once again together and just being that family right they're just bouncing off each other and being just goofy and silly to some extent yeah you know, and oh, yeah, it, it's good yeah. stuff. I, I always appreciate like the trope that they always do. And it's and it's always like because I know Star Trek is like I find it funny that Star Trek is the franchise where it's like, oh, it's all about like how they're beyond like the exclusivity. And it's all about like the 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 universe and the galaxies and the the different cultures coming together. And they always still have the man what a weird odd custom that this, <laughs> this that these other people have like i always find it funny that and they still do that 
this, and, yeah, this, yeah. <laughs> and and the, and the dismissiveness of like, well, this they only got like a warp drive like a month ago or whatever. Yeah, yeah, they always and then they're all and, and it's and then like what was the other thing? He's like, we're gonna skip this part of the dinner and get out of here when it's acceptable uh or when it's like socially acceptable or whatever i mean it, it's good it's fun right. and it's, and it's oh, honest and, and, I and love picard, it. picard has the little thing where like Riker comes in and they're like well like our guests are eating like the floral arrangements and then picard has to make the joke it's like let's see if the chef can wipe up uh, a nice balsamic vinaigrette something that can uh go well together with the uh, chrysanthemums right. you know like well like- it, it, it and it speaks to the franchise too because it, it i will say despite me saying this it does star trek often does have this very careful voice where it never it never quite feels like punching down it's just kind of the fun of this yeah. world like it, it's always just kind of like that that's like everybody's talking to each other as like a community and everybody's got like different quirks and that's how they that's kind of how they get the fun out of it as opposed mm-hmm. to like you never get the sense that it's like oh. it's coming from a mean place no and it's like he's still respectful and that's like okay you got to have a dance with the the short alien yeah, woman like the, yeah the matriarch or whatever right yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but it's like you know it's Ricard when it's so very respectful um and uh but all in the midst of all this like Worf shows up and and just because because Worf has to be in a, in a, in a Star Trek movie. I, thought, I, mean, I had that same thought. I was like, this guy this, is always just around. Well, like, la- like last time, it's like the big like, OK, they're fighting the Borg. He's there. He gets rescued. Literally, they cut him off like, Worf, what are you doing here? And then immediately there's like, well, sir, I and then immediately you hear like, Jordy, I, like I had that same thought. Like every time Worf shows up in these movies, my thought is what is the what is the hand wavy reason that he's here? And they don't even really. Which is funny. I like that. It's like, yeah. because who cares? It's Worf. You yeah. want Worf. I will never get tired of Worf. I will never get tired of him saying Mr. Worf. I, I love it. Yes. He, he is great. Mm-hmm. I love him. Yeah. But but Jordy basically interrupts that whole thing. And, and the reason is that, um you know, this the commander is looking for uh, uh, Picard because, again, something's up with data and they need his schematics. And so when Picard, you know, contacts the the uh, the vice admiral, the, the guy's like, "Well, Data's like attacking our people. We need his schematics." And and then you know, we'll be there in just a second. No, it's not necessary. And, and Picard's immediately suspicious, like, "Why don't you want the Enterprise there? Like, we're we're ready and willing and able." And it's our friend Data. And so Picard basically, you know, plots to be like, "Okay, let's get this done. Let's get out of here." Um, and it's like I forget like the the, the exact quadrants but he talks to Forty. he's like we're gonna stop by uh by this uh this quadrant on our way to the gamma quadrant and Forty's is like that's on the they're opposite directions are they and then it's just like everybody's <laughs> like well it. here we go again that, that yeah that's the that's the good shit that's i love it yeah uh so yeah and it's basically like we get to kind of them going forward uh they kind of are uh researching uh, what's going on with this mission? What was Dad's mission there? The the Baku and everything like that. We kind of get some of the the lip service into sort of this initial part of what might be happening. You know, some mystery. We get this is where we get the teasings of the the first teasings of uh, Riker and uh, Diana Troy, uh, the rekindling their romantic aspirations together, uh, as well as a great scene where Worf wakes up late. Um. Where we get like I don't know 
I don't know what they're what they do over on Deep Space Nine, but here on the Enterprise, we still get up on time uh, for our shifts. And Worf then hits his head. It's a great little scene. Um, with well, him. that's what I mean. It's like that is something a a bit of fun. Oh, for sure. Having yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Um, so they're on their way, but, but we're but we also start getting like a, a glimpse into our villain, mm-hmm. and you get like. Abraham getting his face peeled back on and like talking about like oh we could take a few years off of your off of you and then that's and that's the moment when I'm like I know what's happening yeah and I know, and, what, the, <laughs> I know yeah. what this movie well we didn't mention too because the whole thing about the the Sona which are kind of the villainous race in this movie um is that they're essentially all like sort of have these like pulled back mummified looking looking skin right they they basically are injecting themselves and like you know stretching their skin to the point where they're trying to stay young and alive as long as possible so that's kind of their little backstory uh but yeah yeah you get a big scene where yeah you just see like the the face just coming back on and you immediately like yeah all right that's what we're doing mm-hmm. what we're doing yeah here. yeah it, it is um and the makeup is really good um it's very good on him and there's a few kind of like they really make you feel it there's a few moments and bits of the effect that they do like at one moment later on like he he starts flipping out and then like just starts bleeding from a tear in his face Mm -hmm. it's like pretty unnerving Uh, that that was a bit of makeup i was like even i was like ooh, like that that made me cringe a little bit yeah Uh, yeah. and it really yeah emphasizes just how fragile and how you know the, the the time that these people need to get this right. plan in which which helps later in the movie when you know it's like they're very desperate to kind of get this, yeah. this fountain of youth quality so then they're like well we want it. it's like well data data's going rogue we're gonna take care of him and then the enterprise is like no we'll take care of him don't worry more and more just making it clear like what this movie is it's like it's it's the classic don't worry about it don't come to our planet We'll take care of it. And then you as an audience, it's like, there's a, there's only one reason that Data's going rogue and revealing all of this is because what he's revealing is some something that shouldn't be revealed. Mm-hmm. And I don't mean to say it like, oh, yeah, we, we know. It should, but you do. Like, you, no, you, you do. You know what it is. <laughs> you absolutely do. Because there's kind of like a slight mystery, but then it's very clear that like, yeah, that, that Data is sort of, you know, going against, is this the insurrection? We don't know. Um, but, uh, yeah, cause then they arrive and again, there's all the suspicions like Picard's suspicious that they don't want him there, but he, you know, he, he knows that he has to protect data because he's his crew member. So he kind of like bluffs and says, if anyone's going to kill him, it's going to be me. Cause he's my, he's part of my crew and my team. And this should be me. And then like, they basically like they're at a standstill, but like, it's also the Federation and, and the Federation, uh, officer basically can't tell him no on that like it's kind of one of those things where it's like it looked too suspicious i was like really no so they allow him to go onto the planet where data is sort of driving around on a rogue ship shooting things uh and wharf and picard go down to sort of stop him from from going rogue and this is one of the, the, the film's most famous little sequences uh among star trek fans of course infamous or famous whatever you want to say is they're trying to figure out how they can you know, reach data, distract him because data, you know, they realize like, okay, data is still aware. He's still 
tactical. He still knows how to, you know, scramble his shields the right way. Like he knows all that. So we just basically got to distract him. And then Picard turns the wharf. He's like, have you ever heard of Gilbert? And do you know Gilbert and Sullivan? And Worf's like, I have not yet had a chance to meet the I newest members Worf. of the crew. I love Worf. <laughs> And so Picard asks, "No, he has he has an even better moment, like two seconds after this." Yes, where you're right, Picard start. Well, first of all, Picard looks over and he's like, "They're composers, Worf (laughs) from the 19th century." Right, as if Worf would know that. Like, no, and then of course it's like Data was practicing, uh, like a version of the HMS Pinafore. Uh, which I like that that's always the Gilbert and Sullivan that comes up because that's the one that obviously is also in the Simpsons and mm-hmm. everything like that. Like this, it's like, I guess, you know, it's probably one of their most famous works, but it always comes up. So he was, you know, Data was practicing a, a, a performance of the HMS Pinafore before he left for this mission. So we just have to unlock him. So Picard starts to broadcast and he starts singing a song from uh, the HMS Pinafore. Uh, I think it's the Captain's Tar is the song and he has to coerce Worf into singing along with him to help with uh the data the, uh distraction this was so because like so the, the what i was pointing out is that at one point like uh, picard starts singing and then he's like he's like sing with me Worf. <laughs> Worf's reaction is like just this shaking his head he's like no, <laughs> like, I, I just love the visual that they literally have like a sing along on like the shift's computer. Yes! That it's was li- the other thing. It was a little with the little ball. It's like, literally the, the literally the bouncing ball of like you'd see on like an old VHS. That's when I knew at what level to take the movie. I was like, that's what we're doing. Yes. And if the mo- and I was like, and I thought to myself, if the movie just kind of maintain rides it out from here, I'm going to be completely okay with it. Yeah, so I'm it's like, just, okay, I know what this is. It's an extended sequence of uh, Brett Spiner, uh, uh, John uh, Patrick Stewart, and Michael Dorn just being silly, singing like uh, Gilbert and Sullivan, and you know Brett Spiner is giving all of his data isms into like just like how much he's performing the song, like with his lips should curl and like the the way that his lips move and he's moving his hands, and eventually the distraction works that they're able to attach Data's ship to their ship and bring him back on the Enterprise to kind of calm him down and basically debrief him, uh, while not having to kill him as uh, Brett Spiner would have liked to have done. Uh, so basically, it's just like, again, it's just the movie sort of moves. You, you kind of see that uh, we're starting to already see that somehow the crew is being affected by stuff going on on the planet um, because we already get a scene of, um, again, uh, Riker and Troy again, which is where we get the beard kiss. And it's like, I've never kissed you with a beard before. Uh, everything like that as well. Uh, they're kind of getting youthful invigorisms. They kind of, you know, are talking to Data about the last thing he remembers on the planet itself. They're under the impression that Data was holding everybody hostage. That was the impression that they got. But instead, they find that this small knit community has sort of embraced like these weird people and, and feeding them and, and, you know, making them feel at home. So there's sort of a confusion on like what the actual meaning of you know, holding people against their will was, you know, we never hold people against their will. And this is where we get sort of the reveal as well that 
this small community of, you know, hunter gatherers, this sort of old fashioned community has knows what tech not only knows what technology is had warp drive a long time ago and basically have decided to not embrace technology that like you know you take away something if you if you use technology and you know we kind of get more backstory as the film goes on but that's kind of one of the big reveals is like this this group is much different the baku are much different and much smarter than people perceive them to be um but yeah, and so that kind of mystery sort of permeates as well. And Picard is very intrigued and in, kind of knowing what actually happened with Data. Uh, and his suspicions are still very high of sort of the Sona and, and the Federation officer that are still trying to get him off the planet. Like, that's the other thing, too, is that they're kind of, you know, contacting him. It's like, oh, it's not an issue with the Prime Directive because people have warp drive. So it's not going to, you know, poison the community in that sense. You know, data has been captured. We're, we're debriefing him now. We've taken back the crew and, you know, we're kind of making sure they're all medically cleared. Everything's fine. And the officer's like, yeah, they could. OK, you have 12 hours and, and get out of here and, and go back to what you were doing. And, and Picard's like, no, I'm going to find out what was going on with data. Like, clearly something went wrong here, especially when they kind of go to data and, and, and uh, Jordy has been working on him. And he's basically said something happened where basically data's basic functions of right and wrong were the only thing that were driving him. And so Picard's like, well, data would obviously know to do the right thing. So whatever is obviously revealing this thing and, and holding these people there was to data, the right thing to do. So they've got to find out exactly what happened with data, what's going on with this uh, community and why this Federation officer, why the Sona are so interested in this particular planet. Mm -hmm. it, it's the fountain of youth. It's the fountain of youth. Yes. It's, it's yeah. It's clearly the fountain. of youth. It's clearly the fountain of youth. Now uh, I will say there, there were some little clever things. Like I didn't like the way in which they, they do a really good job of, um, you, you kind of, again, you know where it goes, but they kind of unfold it in a still entertaining way. So, like, because they still keep key pieces of, and, and that's like, I think the key for a movie, you don't have to make the story so unpredictable, but you can uh, hide key pieces of information. So it was still fun to see that, you know, eventually they find the ship that, that has been cloaked and they still have some of the reveals of like, you know, the origins of the, of the people there and like how exactly that has worked and their relationship with the villains. Like, so I, the movie did actually do a fair enough job of navigating those plot points. I thought. Yeah. Cause they go back to data. What's the last thing you remember? He starts seeing in the Gilbert and Sullivan, like no before that. And then he realizes that like he was investigating stuff in the Hills. He, he was following some children and then sort of everything kind of went like for that. And so eventually what it's revealed is, they go back to the lake. Data, you know, has some weird readings of sort of this, this you know, certain energy. He walks into the water. Um, and uh, which was funny because another behind the scenes, Spiner actually did the stuff underwater there. But they had to put like a couple extra layers of makeup on so that it wouldn't wash off right away when like they, they did it. But he kind of goes down. He figures out that there's a hidden ship, an invisible ship in the water. 
they investigate what's inside the ship and they figure out that the ship is essentially one big holodeck. And it's a holodeck that is representing the, the, the Baku village. And so Picard obviously puts two and two together. They're trying to trick the Baku onto the ship so they can move them off the planet, uh, which, you know, deeply affects Picard of just like, you know, our darkest moments in human history are when we force people away from their, their land. Uh, so he's basically now knows something is not right here and it's going to be his duty to make sure that these people don't get moved off the planet. Um, and meanwhile as well, this is where we really start getting, I mentioned before that like kind of the youthful energy of Riker and Troy in the kind of their quarters, but we have Worf getting pimples. Um, we have Jordy, you know, having issues with the eyes, which is his eyes growing back. And we also have a nice scene where Picard, you know, in the midst of this sort of troubling news, goes back to his quarters and he, he immediately calls for music. And when it plays classical, he's like, no, it's not that. And like, what would you want? Let's play something Latin. You know, he plays kind of a classic, like sort of Latin South American tune. And he starts doing a little little dance. He does, you know being uh having a little fun and that's when he realizes the truth of the planet is that it's making everybody youthful and so he goes back to his friend anji who can't swim and he's like how long have you been alive and she's like i'm 350 years old and so basically they reveal the big backstory of the baku uh and and the people of this planet is that they were part of a different culture that had been overrun by technology and basically was destroying themselves a couple of people managed to escape, found this planet, found its youthful qualities and decided to renege on all technology and stop being explorers of the stars and basically kind of remake themselves here as a small tight knit community. Yeah. 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 And again, that was just like a, that was a, um, that was a, a good kind of how they deal with that plot point because like, I, I went into it like, you know, obviously it's it's a fountain of youth thing. And then like thinking like, like I took it at face value that they were there, they had technology and they just didn't use it. Mm-hmm. And then, and then just the revelations that they make where it was a nice twist on that, I thought. Yeah. And I think it's also the scene again, you know, the scenes kind of playing lip service to, you know, Picard's deepening relationship with this woman who has kind of taken charge and in, in trying to help investigate sort of this stuff. Like she goes to the holodeck ship and, you know, is like kind of pushed out when they're being shot at by the Sona, everything like that. Uh, but it's this point where again, Picard's like, you know, they're trying to forcibly remove, remove you from this planet. That's very obvious. And I'm not going to let that happen because again, the darkest points of our history are when we've, we've done that to people when we've forcibly removed them from their homes. Um, and so, it's Picard's mission now to basically stop the Federation from doing this. And it, it leads to, you know, eventual confrontation with the officer um, and the, and F Murray Abraham on the, uh, on their ship. And essentially this, that's where the, the blood scene that you talked about where he's like yelling and just starts bleeding outright. So mm-hmm, yeah, um, that one, again, it's a very nice sort of indication of just sort of the, the fragileness of the Sona and why they're so obsessed with, with this stuff. And there's a lot more that we get into with them, but then this discussion with the, with the officer uh, and uh, Picard, it's very deep into the, the morals 
of this dilemma. You know, it's only 600 people. It's going to help billions. You know, when does it become there, wrong? There is a moment in this scene where even I was like, oh, okay, this is the, this is the, 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 you know, for lack of a better term, this is the commentary of the scene. Yeah. Because at one point, and it's only because at one point he walks, he's in the, he's in the, in the foreground. He's like looking out the window. So he's not looking directly down the barrel, but he's like looking toward the camera, like toward the audience. And it was like something he's like, and I forget the exact line, but it's like, it's, it's like the forced relocation of a society. <laughs> It's like one of our greatest sins. It's like something like that. And yeah, and I was you know, like, yeah, that's like, the that's the thing. That's what, the thing in this movie. <laughs> when does it become wrong? A thousand? Yeah. Five thousand? Five hundred thousand? A million? Yeah. That, so yeah basically, that, that was, it's basically um, a game of chicken in that, you know, Picard's like, once the council actually finds out what's going on here, they're gonna shut this down. And then the officer is like, by the time that you get to the council this will already be done. And so essentially now it's kind of a, a, a race between the two factions is Picard is performing insurrection against his officer. And is ah, going to, there it is. Um, there it is. Kind of like the, <laughs> what is, what like a, a reach, like it technically is in there, but like you, you picked like, the the eighth of your plot to base the whole title around <laughs> like even like because what was like well i guess no because first contact like even like did you say like prime directive was like a yeah it was I, a working title yeah that's a better title because like at least that's the it, it, it's the it's a ruse of a title but at least yeah. if you watch the first 15 minutes of the movie you think it is all about like they're breaking the prime directive yeah but they're not yeah, Insurrection's it's, a bad title. I'm just, I'm just coming down. It's not it. a great title, no. no it's also, not. by the way, another working title of this movie was Star Trek Nemesis. <laughs> <laughs> so this, the behind the scenes of this movie is like we're gonna make all this, all the stuff we wanted in this movie work. We're going to make, we're, it's gonna be on screen one day. <laughs> yes, essentially, yes. Um, oh my god. So then it's then the the rest of this kind of plot is driven in that. Picard goes back to the surface of the planet and eventually like they're going to evacuate the village and head into the mountains to hide from, you know, the, the Federation ship. Meanwhile, Riker, Riker, uh, Jordy and some other crew members are going to head out of the briar patch where they can't communicate with Starfleet and, and attempt to basically make communications with the, with the Starfleet console to basically re reveal the truth of what's happening here on this planet. Uh, so we kind of get that kind of split. And this is one of the things about this movie. And I, I kind of will say this is that they obviously give you know quite a bit of meat to the stuff that's on the planet of Baku and sort of the, the, the journey to the caves and, and trying to get away from these like kind of transporter drones. The stuff with like the Enterprise is very much feels like, OK, well, we need some sort of space set piece here. Um, like it really feels like because that really that whole plot line with Riker and uh, Jordy like kind of really doesn't go anywhere because they kind of escape. You have some action with like banned weaponry and, and sort of like, you know, dumping the warp core and everything and, and Riker getting to be Riker, like the captain and everything. Dude, but then Riker gives himself some moments. Yes, like, there, there, there is a moment in this film that I laughed out loud where 
he says something or like he he has some sort of actiony thing that he says oh yeah he's like well what are you gonna do with it he's like we're gonna shove it right down their throats and then they cut to the the female co-pilot giving him like a look <laughs> like oh yeah like oh okay <laughs> also like when they basically like and again this is more script stuff but it's like jordy's like you know if this works they might call this the Riker maneuver yeah yeah <laughs> You know, it's like they might call this the Riker maneuver. No, oh, well, to oh. be to be fair, they are they do they do uh, give the credit of saying like they're gonna call this the Riker maneuver, and then Riker's like, if it works. <laughs> yeah, but the, the whole thing about that stuff is just like because it's like the whole thing about that is that you know the um, the they they're like uh yeah the whole thing about that is you know Ephraim Abraham's like. All right. Well, they're 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 leaving the enterprise. It's it's leaving, and they're going to tell the console and like what's going to happen to you, you know. And it's like we we you know. And like like again, the the Federation officer is, is a funny character because he's very much into like this idea and like he likes the Fountain of Youth and like how it could change the world. But he's also like still very much in Starfleet protocol where he's like, well, I'll just tell him to come back. And then Ephraim's like, like he's like literally like what like you think he's gonna listen to you like what the hell is wrong with you yeah, yeah. like and, and then he basically goes one step from saying like well, we're gonna shoot him down but he doesn't want to like scare this guy off just yet so he's like i will make them turn around and bring him back but obviously he's gonna like just kill the enterprise so but that whole thing is just like you know there's like their whole there's like they're getting out of the briar patch to talk to console we never actually see them like make the real communications or anything we basically like show them going out there and then we basically Oh, they're back. You know, it's like there's not really much to that, though. There are some kind of nice little visual flares with everything over there. And mm -hmm. we kind of get some hints that there might be more to the Sona because they have basically a banned subspace weapon. And they're, and again, it's just a lip service like that's why it's banned. We don't know how it's going to work. That's why we don't use subspace weapons sort of, sort, of, sort of stuff. But really, the main meat of the movie and the main thing we're following is the stuff that's happening on the planet as Picard uh, Data Wharf um, and uh, Deanna Troy and uh, Beverly Crusher are helping lead this group out of uh, their village into the mountains to hide from these drones. Which I thought the transporter drones were kind of a neat little device. Yeah, yeah. They're, they're, they're individual transporters that can like individually like just shoot a person like and just transport them up to the ship. Um, because it's, it's clear that F. Mary Habram just wants to slaughter everybody, but their, their, their partnership with the Federation means that they have to transport them to another planet because that killing them would be very much against uh, Federation protocol. So a lot of the other plot lines, again, we have this deepening relationship between Picard and Anji, um, which involves a slow motion scene where I love that they're there's like kind of the, the, the everything around them starts being in slow motion. Like the waterfall starts being in slow motion, the hummingbird. And the best part is just like Picard's like, how are you doing this? And then she's like, no more questions. So, yeah. So this was a, this was a plot point that I, I thought I was going to ask, like, do they explain this or is this just like a weird, the, the weird thing of this movie? It's the weird thing of this movie. Okay. All Cause right. this is, this is the scene where the two of them were supposed to kiss. But as far as I know, there was no actual explanation of what's going on there. There was just like, they were going to have a nice little kiss amongst the slow motion. Yeah. When that happened, I thought it was a, a visual effect mistake. <laughs> I really did. It, it didn't register to me. It's, like it's it a very, a just, it's a very odd. I mean, it's supposed to be very romantic and it kind of is, but um, it's a very it's also, odd. 
Go ahead. Sorry. It's just, it's very much like, it's just very much like, we're not just going to, they literally tell you, we're not explaining this. It's just cool for the sake of cool romantic for the sake of romantic. It's also 90 CGI water, which is why it doesn't look great. That's very true too. <laughs> late, late, late nineties CGI water by blue sky studios. You know? Oh my God. That's why yeah. they did. Hey, it's not that's just blue sky. Everybody had an issue with it. <laughs> I know, but, but that's why blue sky did ice age. Cause then they didn't have to animate the water. They was just yeah, all, fro- it was all that. That was all frozen anyway. Uh, that's so funny. there's that going on as well as uh, data is having this relationship with this child who's sort of fascinated by him. The child is initially kind of scared of technology because, like, again, his plan is, like, no more technology. But Data's like, I want to be your friend. And they talk about how, like, you know, Data just wants to know what it's like to be a child. And the child is like, I wonder what it's like to be an android. And they bond. It's nice. Yeah. Uh, And then at one point, uh, the women are talking about how their breasts are firmer now. (laughs) Which I, like, had to kind of... I I had to... It's just a weird thing where I kind of, like, did I hear that right? And I, I had to rewind and I was like, you know, that's what they said. Yeah. Well, and it was one of those things you're like, you're like, Haha. like you, you j-, and then, it, but then it leads to a payoff that I'm like, it, it, it's, it's too easy. You don't want to laugh at it, but you do like, it just works for me where it's like, cause data overhears it. And they're like, get out of here, data. Stop eavesdropping on us. And then like hit and he goes up to Worf and there and Worf is basically going through his mood swings as a Klingon because he's on the planet. And then he says something related to him. He's like, he's like, I, he's like, I crave the, the, the hide of this type of beast from our, from our planet. Right, like, like, like the, the raw blood of like, yeah. a, I, 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 whatever. Yeah. And it's like, yes. And have you realized is like, have our breasts been getting firmer? <laughs> and I was like, I can't. It made me, it got me. <laughs> oh my God. These two. Sometimes, sometimes a classic's a classic for a reason. Yeah. Uh, but then we're just basically going through the hills and, you know, more and more people get, you know, kind of kit gotten by these drones, um, including the kid's father and everything. And they're kind of like constantly going into the caves and essentially like they are. Yeah, it's just kind of they're escaping and they're talking about more of the, the Fountain of Youth stuff. You know, basically very, very basic Fountain of Youth stuff, as we talked about, like, mm-hmm. you know, we had a, a conversation earlier in the movie where, you know, Anji's talking to Picard and it's like, but you aren't tempted by the Fountain of Youth. And it's like, of course, I'm tempted by the Fountain of Youth. Like, that's that's uh, just human to do that. But I'm not going to, like, displace people. You know, it's like that was everything. It's it's just good. I mean, it's just very watchable. But this is where the sort of the, the for me, it's like this is where the feeling like the TV show comes in, because mm-hmm. this is just where like, OK, this is like the middle part of the TV show where they're on this planet and they're moving through and they're having these kind of conversations about fountain youth and, and love and everything like that. Like, it just feels like that's where the very TV knows show nature comes in, especially because like, listen, I'm definitely enjoying this, but I can also imagine the TV version of this where everything is very much shorter and streamlined and simplified because a very poor portion of this movie is just like, they're walking through these Hills and not too much is happening. And that's the truth of it. There, there is a moment in the dialogue when they're in one of their many talks about youth and time and whatever. But there, is, there is one moment I, I actually I did think was pretty was um when they were talking about the how she doesn't know how to swim. Like she's talking about she's lived like hundreds of years at this point, and but like and then Picard makes a joke where 
she's like, so you, it's like, it's like my only thing I don't understand is all this time and you still haven't learned how to swim. And then her response to that is like, uh, like haven't gotten around to it yet. And I thought that was like a nice, very simple kind of way to illustrate what it is like to, what it would be like to have like essentially immortality. Mm -hmm. It's like that, you know, because there's a lot of, you know, when you think about mortality and like you only have a limited time to like do everything that you want to do. But it, I just thought it was a, kind of like a nice brief commentary on immortality that like if you had the time in the world, you can put off learning something as simple as learning how to swim and you could do that blissfully. And I, I thought that was a, a nice moment of dialogue for me. I thought I thought that was a just a nice moment. It was, yeah, and I, I do like the really, I, I do like the, again the relationship between uh, Picard and Anchi, and I think that you know it's nothing. It doesn't like again break the you know it's not like the greatest romance of all time or whatever. It's not like the greatest relationship that any of these movies have had. But I do sort of like I think the two actors have chemistry, and I think that they they kind of bring the best out of each other in those slow moments, especially as that's something that is kind of a main point of what we're following, you know, at going forward. Mm-hmm. Um. Because we get to also like, but there's again, there's more drama. There's like a cave in and, you know, Anji gets hurt and Picard's like, don't, don't leave me. And then they, she's fine. She's okay. Um, everything like that. They kind of eventually have to leave the caves because of that cave in. And then, you know, eventually Picard and, and Anji get, you know, beamed up to the ship. So things are, things are happening. Uh, but one thing we have figured out is there's something, there's some sort of odd connection too between the Baku and the Sona. Because when they 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 uh, they you know scan a Sona person and they're like that's impossible how can this be and again I will get, they can talk about that the, the big reveal mm-hmm. that happens on the ship is that the Sona are actually the same race as the Baku and what happened was years ago some of the more youthful members of the Baku tried to re-embrace technology and staged a coup but failed and were banished from the planet. And the Sona now do not receive the, uh, you know, life giving qualities of the planet and are, are eager to recapture it, which is why they've done it all technology wise. You know, they've, they've given themselves injections, they've stretched their faces, everything like that. And so their part of it is like, yes, getting the youth of this planet, but their true mission unbeknownst to the Federation officers involved is a revenge mission that they want Mm. revenge on the elders that cast them out years ago. Mm. Nice nice little, nice little. No, I, 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 and, and it, and it works. I mean, and it works as kind of like a a new wrinkle, kind of, like I said, it's, they, they uh, iron out these wrinkles in a, in a very efficient way, I think. And I, I think it, it's cool. It's good. You said, you said wrinkles. And they have lots of wrinkles. They do. <laughs> Folds and wrinkles everywhere. And so essentially this is where, um, you know, Ruffalo, the African-American uh, you know, reveals his real true colors. And, and you know, the Federation officers like, okay, we're done. There's, this is too, we're too in deep now. We have to get out of here. Basically like you don't understand, like the Federation is weak. You know, you, the the Borg sees you as weak. Yeah, the- I like I like this. I I always like in these in the Star Trek movies and franchises overall. It's like just these little 
these little things that it this is what's tying into the the universe at large and the, right. like this is what keeps it relevant going yeah, cause on they, and, yeah because they talk about the the borg but they also talk about like the dominion which is the big thing that's happening on deep space nine at this point um do play some lip service to that and eventually f murray abraham kills this federation officer by putting him in the chair and stretching out his face which was kind of gruesome because you get to yeah. see that face kind of come apart a little bit Ugh. and so now it's basically a race against time where the the crew um are going to the, the evil bad guy crew are basically going to launch their collector ship that's going to collect all the particles that surround the planet as the kind of the youth giving nature of the planet is from the rings that surround it. Uh, and so they're going to do that and launch it where basically they're going to poison and kill off the planet and everybody on, on it by taking away all these, all these uh, life-giving chemicals. And so it's up to Picard to be that action hero uh, and help escape and, and uh, do that. And he does that by uh, coercing uh, a fellow Sona by the name of uh, uh, Gallatin, who is sort of feeling the doubts about, you know, his commander's plan now. Uh, sort of the reveal that I think what's what's really what is kind of neat about the um, the reveal about the two races being the same and still that they are all like very old is what's what's kind of interesting is like this Gallatin character like Anji's like wait I know your mother like that they, these characters still have the actual connections it's not like oh these are the descendants of this race that mm -hmm. like cast mm -hmm. you out they are actually like no I remember you I remember that voice like like you know you were you were the leader of these people and, and like it was your fault you know that sort of thing and, and Gallatin's like you know he's kind of having doubts where it's like well I guess his mother still talks about him on the planet and sort of you know, realizing that he's going to actually kill a bunch of his people that are of the same bloodline and same race is kind of getting to his mind. So th that's a really nice little, like, kind of, again, twist on these races being the same is that because, you know, they both have existed for so long from different means, it, 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 it does allow a little bit more personal connection. And, and that kind of, again, a very, for me, a very unique Star Trek thing that it feels very Star Trek-y and that that's sort of the the thing that kind of pushes everything forward. And eventually Gallatin is leading Picard to his execution. And basically Picard is like, you know, trying to say like, you're a coward for, you know, trying to kill all these people and he's already having doubts and, you know, like it, it's, it's not right. And Gallatin's like, is this how a Federation, you know, officer begs Federation captain begs for his life. It's like, no, don't you get it? I'm begging for your life. And Gallatin basically agrees to help Picard stop uh, his commander from, you know, killing off the entire planet. I did like that moment because Picard, even though like the audience knows that this guy is, um, you know, second guessing everything and Picard's really laying it on. Thick. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and he's like, you know, it like stuff like you're not a man, you're a coward. <laughs> Of course, it's perfectly Patrick Stewart to say yeah. that too. It's like, and then, it, and then there's a pause, and then, and then he like hits it. He's like, a coward with no sense of morality. <laughs> I'm like, Jesus, he he he's got it. He's we we he know un he understands. He's, he's switching sides, man. Like, <laughs> he was really laying it on thick. But that is also like one of those things about Picard. It's like he he will lay down the truth 
if he uh if he feels like he needs to that, mm-hmm. that's that's always like a fun aspect of his character yes uh i i i agree because you you see that in first contact too with the with the ending of first contact as well so i i i it's picard i've always liked to especially like re-watching these it's just like how different you know again picard is from kirk right they're, they're two very different characters and if kirk was in this situation he would he would do it in a very different way right he would probably be a little bit more you know forthcoming about about what to do and, and like you know the gung-ho stuff whereas picard you know is kind of playing a lot of sides and, and, and trying to be sneaky because i forgot mentioned too when they decide to go to the planet to evacuate picard's just going to sneak down by himself and the rest of the crew sort of you know uh, you know, comes across him, and there's a weird uh, a one moment I remember, and one moment that is like nice, and one moment I remember that is very odd, just concerning everything in the movie. Is the one that's nice is like, you know, go back to your quarters, that's an order. And Picard is, is like his casual clothes, and, and Riker's like, no, no uniform, no order. But then there's also like, like they're like, Data has this whole thing in that scene, just going back real quick, where he's like. Oh, like, you know, most of these people have been, you know, have a youthful rebellion because of the theft of the planet, which I'm not affected by. And they're like, okay, Dad, like, what do you think? He steps forward. It's like, lock and low. <laughs> like, yeah. he just brings up a gun. He's like, it was a little jarring. I it's thought, a, li- but... a, a little much. Yeah. yeah uh, it's yeah. a little much. But anyway, so we're back here. And so Gallant and Picard basically come up with this plan that, okay, they need to contact Data and Worf on the planet. So. Um, they're they're going for that, and so Data does the kind of distraction, but it's like, hey, like you know, scrambling our shields, like, oh, that's nothing. The android is meaningless. Um, and then Worf has the other plan in mind, which is, um, so basically they're 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 launching this thing onto the planet. They're going to launch this ship that's going to collect all the 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 youth dust. And, you know, collect it for themselves. And just as they're about to launch, there's a big flash in the ship. And everybody's like, what was that? And it's like, it doesn't matter. Look, there's only three seconds left. We're going to launch this thing. And they're all like, yeah, we launched it. Which I will I will say the smart thing about this is that because they set up the fact that this briar patch is like a, it's a cacophony of unusual cosmic storms and occurrences you don't know what it could happen like they do set that up it's mm-hmm. not like necessarily the safest place to be that that is like kind of like the the um the thing that tricks you like it, like it got me where i'm like oh like i guess that it's gonna have a payoff but i didn't think it was what it was going to be ultimately right. Yeah. So basically they're kind of watching this launch and he's all excited or like, yes, we've done it. We're going to, we're going to, we're going to get all the space dust. And then there's kind of like an issue of, well, I'm not getting any readings. All the readings are down. Like how can the readings be down, but the view screens on like what's going on here. And then they catch it in the sight of the corner of their eyes that they're not on their ship as they thought. No, they are on a holodeck recreation of their ship, which is kind of absurd in many respects, but it kind of works because I don't. Yeah, I mean, but no, I mean, I guess like it's like, 
I mean, well, it's elaborate, but like, I guess it like you. Well, because it's like the okay, the, the, holo, the holodeck ship is like needs to be up, and they need to have a complete recreation of that ship's. Was I guessing maybe they have like a loadout of it for some reason? I don't know. Oh, I thought it was because they had that the guy on their side. Yeah, so I'm, I'm assuming. I'm assuming. Yeah, but it's just like I don't. I mean, I guess. It must it's a be, it's a reach. It 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 it, it must it, be easy to program a holodeck ship to like do whatever you want. Which I oh, mean, oh yeah, I I can believe that. M- my thing is mostly like so they like got everybody and they beamed them on board in the same exact place that they were. Yeah, and to the it, point where it was like they did not even realize that they were transported anywhere. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Also. Yeah. Well, whatever. I it's <laughs> I don't have a I don't have a passionate opinion about this it's it's just a, it's a little bit of a stretch but again it's just like a fun little moment when he's i have more up. of a passionate opinion about abraham's reaction to the fact that they lost that that was like can we get a take two that was my only thing in the movie oh the, he's like, the, the scream yeah that was like uh that's the, weird the, the, <laughs> the very high pitch like because ah! <laughs> he's like because they say something it's like oh we don't have access to this ship anymore he's like ah! <laughs> i'm like uh i don't know no didn't land didn't land <laughs> um yeah so basically like there still is like kind of a fight you know for the other ship and that there's like a chance that they can still be launched uh in which we get like an actual fight between picard and uh uh, F. Murray Abraham, mm-hmm. uh, which was actually a reshot ending. I should mention that now. Originally, like it, it was just going to be that he was ejected into space and, like, you know, among the dust, like, youthfully turned back into F. Murray Abraham and then uh, implied that he be- went back to, like, being nothing. Like, you know, that sort of thing. Oh, that would have been cool. I, I, it would have been nice, but that then on, been cool. on the test screening, they're like, we need more of, like, a, a impactful ending because it just didn't feel like it was impactful but then he just blew up like it's well, yeah, no, but, but, <laughs> but like there is actually a fight between picard and, and oh i and see the, oh, like, oh they, they they did all that okay they literally like it was basically like the original ending was like you know picard like pulled a pin or something that like stopped the countdown and like you know it, like the thing was like ejecting into space and you know picard does the whole thing where it's like i can save you come on and, and every Abraham's like i'd rather die than be saved by you like that sort mm-hmm. of thing but they wanted to have more of like an action-packed finale so uh, which is it's a it's a nice little you know thing between the two of them and and picard gets again gets to be kind of the 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 nice little action hero you know punching things and stuff Mm -hmm. cool yeah Yeah. and then and then we get a nice wrap up of the event everything yeah um sweet everybody says goodbye they get Everybody to says. they get to enjoy their their lives a little bit. Picard says, "I have a lot of PTO, so I'm coming back for you." Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and and Jordy's like, "I might not have these eyes, but I will see for once." Um, and so yeah, and then everybody's like, "Okay, we're having we're having good times." Data has a oh, nice and, and there and, and there's hints that they allude to that they're going to try to reacclimate the two factions right of, yes of, yes yeah, that, that that they they bring back gallant and reintroduce him to his mother and they're like you know maybe the healing process and begin and you know there's you know a lot more we can do between these people as well um and data gets to be a child because he plays in the hay and it's like data it's time to go it's like i gotta go home now you know very childlike um 
so yeah, that's Star Trek Insurrection. Also, one more line I forgot. I was just thinking about when I was thinking about the, re- the relationship between uh, Picard and Anji. Very Patrick Stewart delivery here. And very nice flirtation as well when he's like, you know, I must warn you. I've always been into older women. I thought it was weird. <laughs> I'm sorry. I thought it was so bizarre because he just he comes on so strong. And that's what he says. Yes, but it is Patrick Stewart, and 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 you're right. If anything, that probably shows the real Patrick Stewart <laughs> as opposed to the real Picard. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, and there's like there's a lot of hints that the Riker and Troy relationship will continue on, you know, and everything like that. So mm-hmm. nice little ending. But again, to me, event feels like the TV show ending where it's like this is what we learned and this is how we had fun and then we beam up to the planet and credits roll. Like that feels like a very like end of like a episode of Next Generation ending, which I guess is like, you know, we've seen that before, but it, like just knowing even knowing so much of like original series Trek and everything like that, uh it just feels like they kind of beam up from the planet and then they leave. Like that's just an ending of the episode of the show. It just makes it feel even more like an episode of the show. So mm-hmm. um but it's like that's the thing about insurrection. And again, it's like it's not bad, but it's a very simple Star Trek film. Like that's what it is. It's very much like a, a Star Trek plot put on the big screen, and it's it's fine. It's like I have nothing really that much to say about it. And then again, it's like it's fun to see the characters together, right? Like we said, like we've mentioned, there's many fun wharf moments. What like one another one. I love this running gag of just Worf hitting things with his gun. Because there's another one where he has like the drone and he runs out of ammo and he just swings. And then he's like, I am definitely feeling a rebellious attitude, Captain. Yeah, yeah. Like, it's like, whatever. It's like, <laughs> like, I definitely feel like the energy. Like, yeah, yeah. Well, because like, yeah, because yeah, earlier on, he's like, if you have any violent tendencies, let me know. And that's then right. He's the violent. Like, yeah, he's like, yeah. I'm feeling violent tendencies. <laughs> that was good. I like that. Yeah. So, that um, but that's really at this point, like watching these films, it's like it's coming. It's, and it's a fun of like looking forward to them. It's, it's just seeing the crew and seeing the characters again. And I think that's and we'll, we'll kind of as we kind of approach the end of this original era of Star Trek films. One of the things I really reflect upon, it's like I think that's what makes the Star Trek films so to an extent unique and fun. is just the way that which they approach like reconnecting with these characters. And I think that's what kind of has been exciting about you talk about like the treat of watching these films. And this has been I'm really happy we chose this franchise to look at because this film, more than anything else, despite sort of the lower uh, viewpoint that I have on it, um, it is just a nice to revisit these characters. Mm-hmm. And it's not a bad film to watch if you just want to kind of see some fun stuff with the characters. Uh, I couldn't agree more. I, I actually I feel the same way. I think I maybe maybe I, I skew a little bit more positively, but uh, I, I think because that's what's going to be interesting is like when I finally do go back and think about all of the films, and if I had to think of like a rough ranking, it's tough because there's so many other ones I would go to before, like and comparatively, like like First Contact is like a really strong movie mm-hmm. in comparison, but. But I, I I think it's it's a perfectly good addition to the franchise as from in yes. my humble opinion and and and, it's, and for a franchise that has been 
so strong and had many strong movies and strong moments. Mm -hmm. I think, I think this is a perfectly adequate version and it really just shows to show you just how, again, just how solid this original run is relatively speaking. Yeah. Agreed. All right. So let's get this wrapped up and uh, get us out of here for our next adventures. Uh, The movie releases on December 11th, 1998. Um, and is a decent success. Definitely not as high as First Contact on a $70 million budget, about $117 million worldwide. So still successful, but definitely lesser than um, sort of the, the $150 million that, that kind of uh, permeated the, the previous kind of two films, uh, you know, and that sort of thing. So uh, review-wise, very mixed, um, basically kind of right down the middle. Um, sort of people again like the characters and and sort of like the um some of the elements of those characters that presented in the movie, but the plot again very felt very much people like a, the, the te- television show plot extended for a film and sort of a lot of debate about what the effectiveness of the villains. Um, you can tell it was fifty fifty because Ebert gave it a thumbs down and Siskel gave it a thumbs up, and apparently this was Siskel's favorite Star Trek movie. Um, in retrospect, you know, the, the cast itself has had many, um, different opinions. Uh, Pilar said that he, you know, his vision of the movie wasn't totally seen in the final product, but that was, he said that was as much on him, uh, and his, and his script. Frank said that they probably could have done more with the movie. And, uh, Mariana Citrus said she fell asleep during the premiere. Um, (laughs) Uh, but Frakes has kind of been up and down and Frakes to this day still wishes they had done a story involving Q. That's a kind of still his big regret with, with just the, his contributions to Star Trek, but he is still very proud of a lot of the work that he did. And though he definitely feels that first contact is a better film. Uh, he's still proud of the work, even if he felt like it doesn't, um, you know, fully, um, you know, bring up to the heights that he wish it could have been though. He does have a, a commentary on the Blu-ray. So uh, you can listen to that sometime. Sweet. Um, but again, Paramount's fairly happy. Uh, again, they're very much, you know, focused now on they have Star Trek and they have Mission Impossible coming up. So now instead of being a one franchise studio in terms of stuff that they own, they are kind of a two franchise studio, at least in their plans going forward. Uh, and that will lead us to next time on Star Trek. Um, the finale of this original Star Trek era, the 10th film that kind of ends sort of this, the, the, the era of Star Trek films based on shows. Will we get a data death? Will we get a clone of Picard? We definitely will get some Tom Hardy. We're going to be looking at Star Trek nemesis uh, and, and seeing how Star Trek for a while ended. What was the ending of Star Trek uh, in terms of content on the big screen? It'll be fairly uh, interesting to revisit that movie uh, all these years later. Yeah, this will be one. It's been a bit, it's been a minute since I've seen it, so it'll be like revisiting an old memory. Yeah, we me. can we can directly compare this Tom Hardy to Venom Tom yeah, Hardy. That's true. That's true. Uh, and, I already, and I already know some of the more bizarre things about this next one. So yeah, we will talk about it. Uh, But next time on our regular episodes, it will not be Star Trek. We'll be continuing our dive into Pirates of the Caribbean. And I do want to say thank you, everybody, for listening to the Curse of the Black Pearl episode. Um, 
I think this is going to be fun to keep digging into. Uh, we are going to see the true start of the franchise, the deepening of the lore, and get introduced to a visual effect that still holds up extremely well to this day. Uh, and I can't wait to discuss more about that. We will be talking about the second Pirates of the Caribbean film, Dead Man's Chest, um, which is a very special film for me, just from a, uh, a, a nostalgic and, and, a, and a life change. It really was a life changing film. So I'll talk about that uh, going forward in the film. Uh, so that'll be our next regular episode. But don't forget, we also have No Time to Die is out in theaters. Uh, we are planning to see it as soon as we can and get a review out to you guys. We know you're all eager to hear what we think of the end of the Craig era. Um, and so we will try to get that out to you real soon. Great. All right. Quick plugs. Bonzillapod at gmail.com. Twitter.com slash Bonzilla007. Facebook.com slash Bonzilla007. Like and subscribe. iTunes and on SoundCloud. Uh, one person out there who wanted the shirt if more people want shirts maybe we'll do something I don't know uh, I've always wanted to do I, maybe I'll make a shirt for myself and then we'll like give away five I don't know I don't know how it works I don't know what to pay for that I gotta look into it but maybe shirt someday maybe not who knows but we're happy to have you on board we're happy that you're listening thanks again alright take care everybody okay. bye bye And have you noticed how your boobs have started to firm up?